interrupt your special announcement to bring you this regularly scheduled programming. Oh hi. So, how are you holding up? Because I'm a potato. Hey, it's Coolio if you don't know, and it is time for yet another episode of Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. Bit of a rainy day, and it's probably going to be a um, kind of rainy weekend. We'll have more news on the weather about halfway through the show, but for now, uh, let us just kick off this weekend and see what is going on over at lowbiasgaming.net. Uh, we have from Scarlet three new episodes of Duke Nukem 3D Life's Beach, and I'm pretty sure that is the last of that one because he also has started a new Duke Nukem 3D expansion, Alien World Tour, and has brought us three new episodes there. Jason with the rest of his Let's Play of Gun. There are six new episodes to behold since the last time we spoke. Uh, as well as two new episodes of Little King's Story, also from Jason. Uh, Jason also brings us two new episodes of Final Fantasy VII. And finally, Scarlet with three episodes of Blood. Um, we have a couple of uh, new episodes of... Uh, no, we have one new episode, rather of Mystery Science Theater available on the forum that is episode 16 of season 5 Alien from LA with 423% more Kathy Ireland hmm. as well as two new soundtracks we have King's Field 2 and Kirby's Adventure which I have played myself um, and we also have a new low bias monthly it is my month to pick, and I haven't picked anything yet, so I should probably get on that. More information, I suppose, next uh, next week about that. Unless I come up with something during the show, and that's not impossible. I have my doubts, but it's not impossible. Uh, so yeah, it is time to get to some music, and to some fun times, some relax. We don't need to be outside, do we? Well, unless you're going to frag for cancer, I guess you would need to go outside for that for a little while. And that's happening right here at the Dalhousie Student Union Building at 6136 University Avenue, starting at about an hour. Uh, so right after the show, you can head on over and play some games and um, feel good fighting cancer while doing it. Anyway, we got some fun times, and so stick around. It's Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM, Halifax.
That was Camellia Moonlight by T4N3, which is definitely not a song in today's game from the archives. Gazillionaire is the award-winning business simulation game where you buy low and sell high. You get to run your own trading company, cut deals, corner the market, and outwit your competitors. Your goal is to build a business empire. See if you have what it takes to become a true gazillionaire. So this is Gazillionaire, or specifically Gazillionaire Deluxe. It is a strategy game for the PC, developed and published by Lava Mind, and released in 1996. It is a game that I spent probably an inordinate amount of time uh, playing as I was a kid, and I also presented it for the Low Bias Monthly a couple years ago in October 2016 for uh, another monthly that I picked, games featuring commodities trading, which it's kind of an interesting genre. I mean, maybe not if you're going to only be training. You gotta be doing some other stuff. There's gotta be something to shake it up, and there's a little bit of that in Gazillionaire Deluxe. Uh, spoiler, I kinda get my butt kicked, but uh, that's fine. It's still a pretty good game. It's only two videos long, and uh, yeah, it is worth checking out, I think. <laughs> That was Ulterior Boss Battle by Blitz Lunar, 
and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. And speaking of weird, it is time, as usual, for the news of the weird. And as previously mentioned, I am looking for something similar to news of the weird, but not news of the weird itself, but in that same kind of digest format, uh, so that I'm not doing the same thing as Jason Parton of Low Bias, of, uh, of course he's of low bias gaming of electric leftovers which is his podcast um so yeah if you have any suggestions uh please let me know over at twitter it's at square sim s-y-m uh and as always i do not read these stories ahead of time and some of these might not jive well with all audiences uh this segment is about 12 to 14 minutes long sometimes a little longer anyway take that as you will our lead story, ladies and gentlemen, and people of all gender identities, final resting place. For some folks, Disneyland and Walt Disney World are more than amusement parks. Take Jody Jackson, uh, Jody Jackson Wells of Boca Raton, Florida. In 2009, after her mother died, Wells smuggled in some of her ashes to Disney World and spread them on, on a favorite spot of her mom's along the It's a Small World ride. Later, she leapt over a barricade at Cinderella's castle and flung ashes from both hands as she cavorted on the lawn. Oh. Uh, anyone who knew my mom knew Disney was her happy place, Wells told the Wall Street Journal. However, for the theme parks, the spreading of ashes presents a constant cleanup challenge uh, referred to by the code HEPA cleanup among custodians. Other secret singles are code V for vomit and code U for urine. I hope they don't have to... Urine? Really? Anyway. Maybe pets? I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been to Disney anything, so yeah. Alex Perron of Saratoga Springs, New York, sprinkled his mother's ashes. It... Keep playing you. Don't know what's going on today. That's weird. Um, yes, Alex Perrin of Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, sprinkled his mother's ashes in a flower bed, then boarded It's a Small World. I was still crying. That song is playing over and over again, and there are those happy little animatronic things. I remember thinking, this is weird. But a Disney spokesperson said, this type of behavior is strictly prohibited and unlawful. And the Anaheim Police Department confirmed that spreading ashes without permission is a misdemeanor. Hmm. Really? No. Oh. Uh, to add insult to injury, when cremation residue is found on rise, they have to be shut down. Riders are told there are, quote, technical difficulties for cleaning. I mean, there's, there's ways of going about that sort of stuff, but um, that's not it. What would your mother think is one thing that you could say. Also, what would your mother think about this following story? In what can only be described as a shaking my head incident, an unnamed employee of the U.S. Geological Survey invited malware into the government's agency's computer 
by visiting more than 9,000 porn websites on his work computer, according to an Inspector General's report. 9,000? Anyway, let's keep going. The Washington reported the Washington Post reported on October 30th that many of the websites were Russian and the malware spread to the entire network at the USGS. The employee also saved images from the sites on a USB drive and personal cell phone, which also contained malware. The Office of the Inspector General made recommendations to the USGS about preventing future malware infections, and a spokesperson for the IG's office said the employee no longer works at USGS. I should hope not. 9,000?! I didn't... I guess... Yeah. But... I'm not completing any sentences right now because I... Yeah. There are only like five real porn sites anyway. Let's keep going. It is not the time to talk about that. Who's crying now? Uh, after the package bomb scares in New York and Florida, things were tense in the Charlotte, North Carolina... In, in Charlotte... The Charlotte? In Charlotte, North Carolina, in the early morning hours of October 30th, when mailroom employees at Duke Energy discovered a suspicious incoming package. They welcomed the Charlotte-Mecklenburg police and the bomb squad with, quote, open arms. I don't know what quotes, anyway. And the building and surrounding roads were evacuated as officials investigated. But WBTV, quote, faithfully, lots of quotes in this, uh, reported that the small hand-addressed manila envelope was, quote, worlds apart from a mail bomb. Uh, it merely contained a cassette tape with songs from the band Journey. To which we say, don't stop believing in your fellow 80s music-loving humans. Don't stop believing! It's, I'm not... Stay focused. Coolio, stay focused. You are all over the place today. Uh, our latest religious message... Oh boy, this, is, this isn't going to be great. If Pokemon Go has overextended your short attention span, up your game with the Vatican's Follow JC Go. Really? A new augmented reality mobile game in which players collect saints and other notable Bible figures as they move through the world. Pope Francis has approved the game, which asks players to answer questions about the characters and donate to charities to earn game currency. The Italian newspaper Corriere, uh, Corriere della Sera reported on October 21st that the app is available only in Spanish, but other languages are on the way. So are you collect- uh, are you throwing, like, Bible balls at them? I... I don't know, man. I've never been into Pokemon Go. Um, as I can kind of sort of quote Obama, look, I don't care about Pokemon. Uh, that's not completely true, but Pokemon Go anyway. Cool that if you want to play it, that's great. If you want to play Follow JC Go, that's great too. You do you, man. It's both perfectly fine games, just not for me. Bright ideas. Two mothers are suing the Adventure Learning Center daycare in St. Louis over an incident in December 2016 when teachers organized a fight club among preschoolers. This news today. Holy moly. 
According to Fox 2 in St. Louis, the idea was conceived as a way to entertain the kids while the heater was broken. What? Composure. Composure. Let's keep going. The 10-year-old sibling of one of the preschoolers was in the room next door and captured video of the fights with an iPad, then texted the video to his mom, Nicole Mersale, who believes the fight was broken up only because she called the director of the center. The video shows one teacher jumping up and down in, ex in excitement as another one puts, quote, Incredible Hulk fists on the kids, and uh, cameras at the center recorded more than 30 minutes of fighting. While the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office declined to prosecute, the teachers were fired and the center has been subject to increased inspections resulting in 26 violations. The lawsuit is scheduled to go to trial in November. Oh my goodness, people. I, I did just say you do you. But when you... To quote Jason, Jason Parton, when you doing you hurts other people, you can no longer do you. Our next story. Ew. Construction workers in Valdosta, Georgia, were rattled on October 30th when they tore down a second-story wall in a turn-of-the-20th-century building to find about a thousand human teeth secreted inside. The T.B. Converse building, constructed in 1900, was originally home to a dentist, Dr. Clarence Whittington, reported the Valdosta Daily Times. In 1911, Whittington was joined by Dr. Lester G. Yeomans. Ellen Hill, director of Valdosta Main Street, said two other Georgia towns have had buildings, also home to dentist's offices, where teeth have been found in the walls. Yeah. I'm, sh I'm not sure if this was a common practice to dis to uh, deposit extracted teeth in the wall, she said. Valdosta police said there was no evidence of a crime. But why? That, that is a good question that News of the Weird poses. But why? But why? Are, are you collecting them? And if so, what's wrong with you? Uh, anyway, our next story, but why? WPVI-TV in Philadelphia reported on October 30th about a new fashion accessory, the Skin Heel. These thigh-high boots feature moles, hair, and uneven skin tones, and the shoes are meant to look like surgically altered feet with toes and long, realistic-looking skin-colored spikes on the heels. Conceived by Montreal designers Hannah Rose Dalton and Stephen Raj Baskaran, the creepy footwear will set buyers back $10,000. Fortunately, they've only produced one pair so far. I sincerely hope they don't produce anything else. What the hell, Montreal? I don't know if it's my state of mind. Or if it's just the fact that the, the today's news of the weird is just particularly crazy. I'm just... Okay, so we're going to have mutant feet. Does this mean that, you know, in another hundred thousand years of evolution, eventually our feet are going to look like that? I certainly hope not. Okay. 
our next story, if we can ever get through this entire thing, animal antics. In the spirit of be careful what you wish for, a monkey in Vrindavan, Uttar, uh, Uttar Pradesh, India, shimmied down a wall and stole a venomous cobra from a snake charmer at the Barbanki Temple on October 26th. The man had just removed the snake from a basket when the monkey grabbed it and ran back up the wall, according to United Press International. The snake charmer tried to climb on a vendor's cart to chase the monkey, but it got away. No word on the monkey's fate. I know, man. It's a cobra, and they tend to be a little temperamental, especially if you grab them and run away. Monkeys, man. Oh, monkeys. Um, our next story, recurring theme. Uh, hopefully not that monkey. Well, again, probably not. Doctors at the Hai Duong Hospital in Hai Duong Province, Vietnam, treated a man who arrived complaining of pain in his ear. Using an endoscope to look inside his ear canal, they found a cause a live cricket digging around in the duct. United Press International reported on, on October 26th that the, doc the doctors were able to successfully remove the cricket. That kind of reminds me of a story that I remember hearing in school about this one guy who was getting like really... who, who got a tickle in his ear, put his finger in there to scratch it, and then got some severe pain and it turned out to be a bug in there. That's... Well, well, uh, anyway. Our last story for today. We've finally gotten to this part. The last story is awesome. <coughs> yes. When October books a shouth, a, a, a shouth? A shop in Southampton, England, got ready to move just up the street into a new building on October 28th. About 250 people showed up as volunteers to form a human chain, handing the shops more than 2,000 books 160 yards from one location to the other. It's amazing, the power of community coming together and achieving something like this, said Yanni Frank, who participated in the chain. October Books was forced to move after a rent increase in its old building. It was a tremendous show of support and were moved and incredibly touched by it, Claire Diaper, who works at the store, told The Guardian. That's a bit of a feel-good uh, point to leave that off. I am quite satisfied with how that ended. And uh, let's look at the weather now that we're done with the news. Maybe not so pleasant there because we do have a special weather statement about all this rain that we're going to be getting. Significant rain expected tonight and Saturday. Rain will continue over Nova Scotia tonight and Saturday ahead of a low pressure system approaching from the southwest. Rainfall accumulations of 50 to 80 millimeters are forecast for the southwest and parts of the north where rainfall warnings have been issued. There is, some, there is still some uncertainty in the forecast guidance, and it is possible that rainfall warnings may be extended to other regions. In addition, there is the potential for very strong westerly winds in the wake of this system on Saturday night and Sunday, especially for northern Nova Scotia, including Cape Breton. Wind warnings have been issued for northern Cape Breton and may be issued for other reasons as the low-pressure system approaches. 
So yeah, there's going to be a lot of rain and a lot of wind and uh, let's go a little bit more into detail. So tonight we got periods of rain 10 to 20 millimeters uh, and a low of 14 degrees. So at least it won't be cold during all this rain. Saturday, November 3rd, we have rain. We have 15 to 25 millimeters and uh, possibly fog patches as well, a high of 16. Uh, also, uh, winds possibly gusting to 70 in the afternoon. Uh, and at night, uh, rain ending in the evening, then clearing about 5 millimeters and a low of 5. Sunday, November 4th, sunny skies and a high of 10, going down to a low of 2 at night and clear skies. Monday, November 5th, sunny skies and a high of 7, going down to a low of 6 and cloudy at night. Tuesday, November 6th, a uh, mix of sun and cloud and a high of plus 10 and a uh, moving down to a low of 6 at night and a 6% chance of showers, which will continue throughout Wednesday, November 7th with a high of 13 and a low of 11 and again on Thursday, November 8th, which will see a high of 12 degrees. You are listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, and it's time to get some music going.
And that was Overdrive Mode by Aurorange. That was a fun name to say. And you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. I'm Coolio, if you don't know. And it is time for a little bit something new. So I have, I currently have a concept for a series I'm planning on doing with Geeks vs. Nerds, which is our local um, comedy debate crew. Maybe not as active nowadays, but still kicking. Um, and this is one where I dive into various game shows, describe them, review them, and so on. Pretty much since I've been little, I have loved watching game shows. And earlier this year, I even had a chance to host one myself, which was kind of a fulfillment of a childhood dream of mine. Meanwhile, on the internet, you have people reviewing all kinds of things, video games, computer games, music, movies, TV shows in general, but as far as I know, nobody seems to really specialize in game shows, which is kind of a shame. One might think that game shows are all the same, answer questions, win prizes, and so on, but that's simply not true. Some game shows aren't based on knowledge, of course, Otherwise, others, meanwhile, are based on skill, and others still are based partly on luck, partly on risk and reward. On top of that, different locales for have different views on what makes a game show. For instance, British uh, British game shows are more cerebral, while Japanese game shows are generally zanier and pu- punish ignorance and incompetence. In that view, I want to make a series that encompasses all of these different kinds of shows and maybe introduce people to some shows they might like and might not know about in a series I like to call The Game Show Geek. Now, this isn't going to be a permanent fixture of Square Wave Symphony, but consider this a pilot episode for the actual series. In fact, I'm planning on looking at some game shows in the future which either didn't make it past their pilot episode or varied wildly from pilot to production, but one step at a time. The plan is that each season will be 10 episodes long and each will follow a specific theme. The first season will be sort of a waiting pool before we dive deeper into game show Obscura. We'll be looking at North American game shows, which are either currently running or aren't, but have seen a, at least one new episode in the past two years. And what better way to start than to look at a classic, uh, classic show with which most of you are probably familiar, The Price is Right. The Price is Right, or more specifically, The New Price is Right, is a daily nine-player variety-style game show currently hosted by Drew Carey and announced by George Gray, running from September 4th, 1972 to the present day, and published by Fremantle Media. Its home network is CBS. It doesn't feature returning champions and doesn't have a definable winning ceiling, which is the maximum amount that can be won on the show. The reason why I called it the new Price is Right is because there was actually an old Price is Right which played fairly differently from the one we know today that ran from 1956 to 1965, but we'll look at that one in a later season. And that's also not to to be confused with a primetime edition of this version of the Price is Right, 
Yeah, there have been a lot of different editions of this show. The main difference between daytime and primetime versions, though, is that primetime versions generally have bigger prizes. There's not much else to it. As the show begins, four audience members are named off and told to come on down, where they take any open spot, front row center, in what they call contestants row, or bidders row, I guess, these days. Once everyone's in place, they're shown a prize and in turn must bid on the item's value trying to get as close as possible without going over. Whoever is the closest wins the prize and gets up on stage. In addition, if their bid is exact is the exact value to the dollar of that prize, they also win a cash bonus of $500. From there, they will get to play one of currently 77 different pricing games for more prizes. These may be played for trips, high-end merchandise, large cash prizes, or sometimes a new car! Yeah, I'll get to some, to some of these games later in the episode. So this, so far, is done three times. Win or lose, each of these onstage contestants will move on to the showcase showdown, also known as the Big Wheel. Each contestant, playing in ascending order of their uh, winnings to date, gets one or two spins to reach one dollar or as close as possible without going over. Each of the 20 segments on the wheel is worth an increment of five cents toward this total. So one wedge is worth five, there's one worth 10, 15, 20, and so on. Um, whoever is closest to one dollar will advance to the final showcase round. And in addition, anyone who gets exactly $1 wins a cash prize of $1,000 and will spin the wheel once again after everyone else is gone. Hitting the $1 space here will earn the contestant an additional $25,000. Hitting either of the green spaces on either side of it nets a $10,000 prize. Ties are decided by a spin-off, and this can also be their bonus spin if it's a tie in $1. Regardless of how many consecutive ties there are, however, and just last year in 2017, it has happened where the $1 goal was hit five consecutive times, a contestant only gets one bonus spin, potentially worth money. Now, all of the aforementioned happens twice, and the two winners of the Showcase Showdown play the Showcase, where one last time they bid to be the closest without going over, this time each being presented a different collection of three, uh, three prizes, on rare occasions four, on, on other rare occasions two, anyway, often including a car or a luxury trip. Whoever has the smallest difference between their bid and the value of their own Showcase wins their showcase. Also, if that person's difference is $250 or less, they also win their opponent's showcase. As for what happens if both players are tied, eh, well, in its 47-year history, this has never happened, but one can only assume that both players would win their showcase and only their showcase due to the verbiage given during the show. Now let's have an overview of some of the pricing games. Any number is the very first and very last pricing game played during the tenure of the show's original host, Bob Barker, and is still played to this day. The game is played for uh, one of these, a car, a piece of merchandise, or the less than $10 in the piggy bank. In modern days where cars have five digit prizes, 
uh, the first digit is shown. Following that, the contestant picks among digits, all of which appear exactly once among the remaining 10 spaces, hoping to reveal the entire price of the car before filling in the three spaces for the merchandise or worse, the three spaces of the piggy bank. Whichever price is fully revealed first is what the contestant wins. Now, most of the classic games are very plain in nature, but some of the more recent ones tend to look and feel pretty fancy, and one such game is Hot Seat. The game is played for up to $20,000. In 35 seconds, the contestant is presented with five small prizes, one by one, in incorrect dollar amounts for each, and they must, they must push a button related to whether they believe that the correct price is higher or lower than the given one. After that, the answers are revealed in arbitrary order by ensuring that all correct answers are shown before any incorrect ones. When a correct answer is given, the, con the contestant wins that prize and is offered an incremental cash prize to stop playing. If a wrong answer is revealed, however, they lose their cash winnings. Now, my favorite game is The Golden Road. This is played for three prizes, including merchandise, sometimes trips, as well as one high-value grand prize, which is typically worth over $70,000. Starting with a two-digit grocery item, the contestant must guess the hundreds digit of each uh, successive prize using one of the digits of the previous item to fill the gap. Uh, many of the more common games are played at least once every couple of weeks. This one is played about once or twice per season and is, also, uh, is always the first game played as it uses the entire set. When this game was played during Barker's tenure, he would enter the studio from the back, which was almost always a dead giveaway that the Golden Road was coming up first. The most expensive top prize given away in this game was a Tesla Roadster, valued at $112,845, but that's not even the most expensive top prize ever offered on the show. That honor would go to the pricing game called Three Strikes. The host shows the contestant eight baseball... Wait, baseballs? Eh, I guess, since 2018, yeah, baseballs. Used to be just discs. Anyway, five of them have digits on them, and three of them have X's for strikes. They're put into a bag and shuffled, and the contestant picks one out. If they draw a number, they have to guess in which position of the car's price the number belongs. If they get it right, the ball is removed from play. If they succeed in revealing the entire price, they win the car. However, if they draw all three strikes first, they lose the game. A variant of this game, Three Strikes Plus, offers luxury cars worth over $100,000 and thus which have six numbered balls instead of five. And in 2013, during an event called Big Money Week, the car on offer was a Ferrari 458 Italia Spider worth, get ready for it, $285,760. Not counting the primetime specials, the highest value pr uh, prize ever offered on the show to this day. Now I could go on, uh, go Blah. I could go on and on about these pricing games, but there are still 73 more to go, so let's move on to something else. Maybe I'll do a special covering some more pricing games at some other point. So we know that if someone builds a bids exactly right to get on stage, they win a $500 cash bonus. But 
Um, what happens if the if someone does so at the showcase? Well, nothing. Probably because they never expected it to happen. But it did. Exactly once so far. And the guy was accused of cheating by the producers. But thing is, there was no cheating involved. Just learning the prices, and frankly, just a little bit of luck. Now, obviously, the, the Price is Right audience is kind of a high security zone, as many game shows are. No cell phones, no computers, no priceless, none of that. Would it be possible to sneak something in? Of course, but that's a sure way to get kicked out of the studio. And if you or someone in your group has discovered, you lose any cash or prizes you've won. Hell, it could also invalidate the entire episode and then nobody gets any prizes. Seriously, don't do that. But what if you just memorize the prizes? What if you just learn the show? Watch it religiously to the point that you know that that big green egg Kamado cooker costs $1,175. Where you know that campers and trailers usually go for about $1,000 a foot. That's what Terry Neese did when he got into the show on September 22nd, 2008. The audience loved it. The crew, not so much. In fact, for a time, they thought that Nice was a plant put there by former director Roger Dobkowitz, who had been fired from the show two months prior. Carey himself even started thinking that this was the beginning of the end of The Price is Right as a whole, and after finding out from the producers backstage that his bid was dead on during the commercial break, he was completely dismissive about the fact that Nice had made Price is Right history, partly because of the fact that he didn't think the episode was even going to air. Well, I'm sorry Mr. Carey, but regardless of what you think, it is literally your job to play everything up as it happens. In fact, Bob Barker was asked about this, and it's very likely that he would he would have declared Nice the greatest Price is Right contestant of all time and loyal friend and true of the show. In any case, in the end, they couldn't pin him down on cheating, so he got his prizes. Everybody wins? Maybe. It's arguable, I suppose. Sometimes, however, something happens and it is legit the show's fault. Case in point, on July 22, 2008, the first taping after their summer break, something of a gaffe happened during a playing of Plinko. Now, how, do, how this game works, if you don't know, is that the player uh, is given incorrect prices on four prizes and asks if the first or last digit is correct. If they're right, they get a Plinko chip, which added to the free one they get at the beginning of the game, are taken to an oversized pegboard where they're released one at a time. Wherever the chip lands, they get that amount of money, and the highest amount which can be won on a single chip is $10,000 if it lands right in the middle. Well, just previous to this playing, they'd rigged the board to film a promo for Ludia, which is the, com the company who does their, eh, honestly, mediocre video games. Better than just tossing chip after chip and hoping it lands in the middle. We'll see. Uh, well, see, they forgot to remove the rigging. And so this woman, who had earned five chips, drops her first one, gets $10,000. Drops another, same thing. Drops a third, and again, right in the middle. That's how long it took for one of the co-producers to go, Oh, Fergus, the board's still rigged, and stop the fourth chip on its way down. At that point, the curtain dropped, much to the, the displeasure of the audience, and then-announcer Rich Fields keeps them busy despite admitting the, that he had no idea what was going on. 
About 15 minutes later, after they assessed the situation, Drew came back on stage to explain the game, to explain that the game had been rigged for said ad, and so that taping was effectively invalid. However, where it was the production uh, team's flub, and due to some uh, gaming regulation changes that uh, took place in the 1950s, uh, the contestant in question got to keep her $30,000, and in order to complete the taping, she was given five Plinko chips one more time, and with a clean board, got to play again. She won an, ad an additional $3,000. So overall, The Price is Right is a game that has been able to stand the test of time, mainly by keeping things current, but still mostly simple. Um, which, uh, with many of the games effectively being things that were built during the 70s and 80s, or using concepts that could have uh, been done back then, despite being dolled up for the th 21st century. In any case, I can't see Price ending anytime soon. However, to take from a Excuse me. To take from a bare naked lady song, whether the show will still be running in the, th in the 30th century has yet to be seen. Check back in about 982 years when my disembodied head in, head in a jar will still be belting out this show. So that is your preview for uh, for um, the game show geek. Hope you liked it, and um, I'm hoping to get this started with geeks versus nerds in the near future. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax.
And that was Arcade Ninja with uh, Vampire Slayer from his album 33 and a Third. And that is about it for today's episode. Once again, I will let you know that uh, Frag for Cancer is about to start in about two minutes. So get your butts over here. It's going to be going on for the entire weekend. So um, yeah, totally a reason to check that out and um, do some good things. Have some fun and fight cancer in the process. Uh, the buses 4, 10, and 41 come right here at 6136 University Avenue at the, cur- the corner of University and La Marchant. So come on down. Uh, so yeah, that is going to be it for today's episode. And before I sign off, remember to set your clocks back an hour this Sunday as it is time to say goodbye till daylight savings time for another year. Uh, so yeah, time to wrap things up. Square Wave Symphony is based on the format of the Electric Leftovers podcast by Jason Parton of Low Bias Gaming, lowbiasgaming.net. News of the Weird is written by the editors at Andrews McNeil Syndication, newsoftheweird.com. Segment music composed by Format, Manama Namiki, Noriki Kimikura, Radix, and Ensnare. Uh, oh, and Simon Whittington. Uh, stay tuned for The Astrology Show, coming up next on CKDU, followed by The Witching Hour Earth and Sky at 7pm, and at 8.30, anything goes with CKDU Surprise. Comments, questions, want your chiptunes featured on the show? Email me at squaresim at lowbiasgaming.net or get in touch on Twitter at squaresim, S-Y-M. You can also call the CKDU feedback line at 902-494-8041. There is also a podcast version of this show, and it's available on lowbiasgaming.net slash squaresim, or just search for Square Wave Symphony, Square Wave is one word, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. I'm Coolio if you don't know, and I'll see you guys next time.